welcome to each of you who have been able to join us this evening. Welcome to all those who are joining online this evening. Our Friday, Good Friday service is always such a sobering service, and yet there is such a sense of worship and adoration and depths of appreciation for what Christ endured that we might have eternal redemption through him. And so I trust this evening that God might truly connect your heart to all that takes place uh, during this Friday. Pastor Jason will be kind of walking through the details of that. I don't know. I hope you have found the videos and the scripture readings to be helpful this week. Many have spoken to me about what a help it has been, giving some added insight into the week. And so I trust that your heart has kind of walked with Christ throughout this week. And as we come this evening, that we might truly be able to appreciate all that he has done on our behalf. We do have visitors with us this evening. We welcome you and thank you for being a part of this tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, our hearts overflow with praise and thanksgiving. Lord, we are so eternally grateful for Christ and what he has done. Lord, as we consider who he is, God of all the ages, and yet he has come, he has died. He has become sin for us, Lord, as we consider those things, the weight that was upon him as he walked through this day knowing its end would be the cross. Lord, how this past night he has labored in prayer, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood as he considered what it meant to become sin, to bear your wrath, to be turned, for you to turn your back upon him. Oh, God, we, I know there's no way we can even begin to fathom what that was like, and yet, Lord, in our finite imaginations, we seek to understand, and what little we do causes our hearts to be deeply humbled and deeply grateful. I pray, Lord, as we sing this evening, as the cross is placed before us, as Pastor Jason ministers, as we come to the table this evening, that it might have great significance in us. God, might it sober us, might it humble us, might it cause our hearts to rejoice once again in the salvation which is ours in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing.
consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate and Pilate asked him are you the king of the Jews and he answered him you have said so and the chief priests accused him of many things and Pilate again asked him have you no answer to make see how many charges they bring against you but Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner from whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. The chief priest stirred the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again stood and said to them, Then what shall I do with this man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they all shouted the more, Crucify him. And so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. 
Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his purple cloak and put on his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription on the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way, he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Please stand. Vengeful day upon 
Thank you, Randy and Ashley and Kathy, for leading us this evening on our Good Friday gathering. This evening is the third of a four-part series that we have focused on the last days of the life of Jesus. As we have stepped into the chronology of the Holy Week, these historical events that form the foundation of our faith as Christians— and I trust as we have walked into these historical events and followed the chronology and the day-by-day moments of our Savior during this last week, I pray that what has happened out of this is our understanding and our appreciation of Christ and his faithfulness has grown. Uh, Tim mentioned your daily emails that you have been receiving. I pray that those have been helpful to you, a good exercise of your faith during what we know as Holy Week. This evening, we step into the last 24 to 30 hours of Jesus's earthly life. I never say what I'm getting ready to say. This might be the last time I say this from a pulpit. It would be best if you leave your Bibles closed, all right, and just listen. Maybe with a notepad and pen, if that's most preferred for you. And to sit here for these next 30 minutes and try to take in all that occurred in these last hours of Jesus' life as he stepped toward the cross. All right, you ready? Here we go. Preparation for the Passover would begin at sundown on Wednesday and continue through sundown on Thursday evening. Around midday on Thursday, Jesus would send two of his disciples 
Luke tells us who they are, Peter and John, into the city of Jerusalem in order to prepare for the Passover meal. Jesus desired to celebrate this Passover with these men that he deeply loved, these disciples who have walked with him for three and a half years. This Passover that Jesus was getting ready to celebrate with his disciples, theologically speaking, if we could step out of history for just a moment, theologically speaking, this is the last Passover. As in a few short hours, the lamb to which all other lambs ever sacrificed had pointed to would now be sacrificed. These two disciples that Jesus would send to the city would enter early enough on Thursday to make preparations for this Passover celebration. This was not a simple process for these two men. It would include securing a room for the meal. You can read about that in the gospel accounts. Jesus had seemingly planned ahead and already secured the room and had it ready for these two men to enter the city in order to prepare the Passover. This preparation would include securing and purchasing a lamb and taking it to the temple in order for it to be killed. This preparation would include roasting this lamb according to Exodus chapter 12 with bitter herbs. These two disciples would purchase the needed wine, the unleavened bread, and all other needs for this particular celebration with Jesus. This was a full day of preparation for at least Peter and John. On Thursday, in the midst of the day, it was what we might call the calm before hell would unleash its fury against the Son of God. That evening, on Thursday, after sundown, Jesus would make his way to the upper room in order to celebrate the Passover feast with these men. This would be a meaningful time for Jesus and his disciples. Not only would he share this significant moment with them, this holy meal, if you will, but this upper room would include what I think would be life-altering, life-shaping moments for these disciples. For example, on that Thursday evening, it is in that upper room Jesus would robe himself as a servant. And he would stoop to the ground and he would wash the dirty feet of his disciples. It is in that room that Jesus would speak of the pending betrayal by one of the men who were present in that room. I think that moment would have been remembered by the disciples. It is in the upper room that Jesus gives what we know as the upper room discourse, a stirring message of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse through chapter 17, records this message for us. It's a stirring message that Jesus speaks of truth in light of his pending departure. It is in that upper room on that evening that Jesus delivers to his disciples what we call the new commandment. Monday, Thursday, celebrates this as he charged his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. It is there in that upper room on that Thursday evening that Jesus would institute what we know as now the Lord's Supper. Jesus and his disciples would celebrate the Passover together, and after their Passover celebration, they would sing a hymn 
probably suctions, as I mentioned on Sunday morning, from the Hallel, Psalms 113 through 118. Imagine with me for the moment as Jesus walks through these hours with these 12 men celebrating, soon to be 11 of them, celebrating these moments, remembering the faithfulness of God, and now enjoying the Passover meal and lifting their voices in songs to the Father. Can you imagine these words coming from the lips of Jesus on that night? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Or, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Or from Psalm 118, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look on triumph, in triumph, on those who hate me. Jesus with his disciples after the Passover celebration would lift up these songs in praise to God. After singing together on that Thursday evening, they would leave the upper room and they would make their way to the Mount of Olives. Seemingly, while on their way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus would deliver to his disciples some very difficult words. Listen to Mark's recording. When they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. They went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. After those words, they would move across the Kidron Valley onto the lower western side of the Mount of Olives as Jesus would retreat to the dark garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew what was before him. And in these moments in that garden, the disciples would see the seriousness of this moment for their Savior. These disciples, they struggled. They struggled with their weakness. They struggled with exhaustion. It is late. It is probably midnight or after. And Jesus in that garden will fall on his face in agony. Matthew 26 records for us that three times in that garden on that night, Jesus will pray this prayer. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Three times, Jesus will lift those words before the Father. Luke provides some insight for us that the other gospel writers do not. Luke says, in that garden there appeared an angel from heaven, strengthening Jesus. The pressure and the weight of the cross was falling hard upon our Savior. In that dark garden on that evening, the complete obedience of Jesus is on display. He would wrestle in prayer regarding his lot. 
The fact that the Father's wrath would fall upon him would cause much grief and sorrow for Jesus. But as we see in the garden, the Son would always submit to the Father's will. While Jesus was praying on that dark evening, Judas was in the midst of betraying him. Judas had conspired against the Son of God. The evil one had done his work in Judas, and now he would escort armed men sent by the chief priest to arrest Jesus in that quiet and dark place. They would arrest him away from the festival crowds. If you remember, that was their concern, the gathered crowds, the popularity of Jesus. This was the exact moment, an unexpected opportunity for them now to arrest this man named Jesus. In that dark garden on that evening, Jesus would identify for the soldiers, excuse me, Judas would identify for the soldiers who Jesus was by the kiss of a friend. Remember just hours before in that upper room when Jesus, he would wash Judas' feet and he would say, not all of you are clean. And this is the moment. What is shocking about this particular moment in the garden is that Judas, Judas had heard all of Jesus' teaching. Judas had watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle for three and a half plus years. And now Judas betrays Jesus. Jesus' hour had arrived. His suffering was now set and before him. He would be arrested. Jesus would first be led to an informal hearing with Annas, the former high priest. Only John records this particular hearing. Annas was the father-in-law of the current high priest, Caiaphas. And it is at this particular informal hearing in John chapter 18 that we see something significant happening happen. Jesus is struck in verse number 22 by one of the officers. And the physical assaults of Jesus were beginning. Jesus would then be moved to stand before Caiaphas, the current high priest. If you remember Caiaphas back in John chapter 11, is the one who said to the Jewish leaders, it is better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation perish. He had been advocating for the death of Jesus and now was Caiaphas's moment. It seems that only part of the Sanhedrin would be present during this early morning, late night series of trials before the Jewish leaders. At this particular hearing, Jesus would say very little. He was silent. The religious leaders would seek to secure false witnesses against him. Matthew chapter 26 records for us that in this trial, they would spit upon Jesus and they would slap him. While this trial was occurring outside, Peter would be confronted. And Peter would deny Jesus. Fear and dismay in the moment led Peter to deny the one whom he said he would die for, and never deny. Remember what Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22, before this evening? He said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. 
but I have prayed for you, and your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter would repent. Peter would return. Why? Because his Savior had prayed for him. Sometime around sunrise that morning, that Friday morning, the whole Sanhedrin would convene, and they would condemn Jesus. It's early morning on Friday. Luke records this for us. When the daytime came, the assembly of the elders and the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. Matthew notes that all of the chief priests and all of the scribes and elders were not present. It says, they led him away to their council and they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they said to them, Are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And they condemned Jesus. They had anticipated this moment. They had wanted this moment. They would bond him and deliver him over to a pagan Gentile ruler named Pilate. At some point early on that morning, while Jesus stood before those Jewish leaders, an awful reality began to sit in on Judas's heart and mind. Matthew records for us that Judas changed his mind, and he would say, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, but it was too late. The betrayal had been set into motion. Jesus was now on a path of no return, and Judas would leave, and he would hang himself, bringing a tragic end to his betrayal of the Son of God. While that was happening, Jesus would arrive before Pilate. Jesus had been accused by the Jewish leaders of, what Luke records for us, misleading the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is the Christ, a king. That was the charge. Pilate wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He would quickly pass him off to Herod because he understood that Jesus was a Galilean and he fell under Herod's jurisdiction. But unlike Pilate, Herod was excited to see Jesus. He had heard of Jesus' miraculous workings for the past few years. And, and, and Herod was excited because he was hopeful that he would see Jesus perform some miracle before his own eyes. Herod would be disappointed. He would treat Jesus, as the writers record for us, with contempt, and he would mock him. And Herod would eventually send him back to Pilate. In Jesus' final appearance before Pilate, Pilate would call all of the chief priests and scribes together. And he would seek to release Jesus, finding no guilt in him. As a matter of fact, Herod's wife sent word to him that he is to have nothing to do with this righteous man. She said, I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So Pilate would offer to release Jesus or a notorious criminal named Barabbas. The crowds that had gathered would not be swayed they demanded Barabbas be released, and they made their desire clearly known, as Pastor Tim just read. 
they yelled out, crucify, crucify him. Through this long, long night, Jesus would be beaten and mocked and insulted. This is the Son of God, and he would suffer. He would be stripped of his clothes. A sarcastic scarlet robe would be placed upon him. A crown of thorns would be twisted together and thrust into his brow. The soldiers would kneel before him, and they would ridicule him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. He would be spit upon and struck in the head with a reed, and eventually he would now be led away to his final place of suffering. Pilate condemned him, according to the Jewish leaders. Jesus would carry his own cross as he moved outside of the walls of the city to a place called Golgotha. He would stumble. He would falter. Jesus was weak because of the beatings. He was tired because of the long night. He was exhausted. We learn in a few of the gospel writers that a man named Simon of Cyrene would be compelled to carry the cross of Jesus. As Tim was reading that a moment ago, I was reminded of this particular part of my notes. In Romans chapter 16, Simon is noted in this particular gospel narrative that he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. These particular two men who, who may have been there on that particular day watching these moments unfold, these two particular men will become followers of Jesus and Paul will mention them in Romans chapter 16, verse number 13. Imagine the stories that Alexander and Rufus would have told the generations to come. Jesus would arrive at his place of crucifixion around 9 a.m., maybe a little later. And the Savior would hang on the cross until 3 p.m. It is here that Jesus would be numbered with transgressors, crucified with criminals. His hands and his feet would be pierced. Jesus would hang helpless before the crowds. He would be mocked. He would struggle for breath. These hours were excruciating for Jesus. Darkness would fall over the whole land during the last few hours of the crucifixion. It is in these moments that Jesus would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words that watching angels thought they would never hear uttered from the Son of God. The curtain in the temple in these moments would be ripped from top to bottom. And it is there in that moment that the gospel is preached to us that now the most holy place was accessible, but it was accessible only through Jesus. At around 3 p.m., Jesus would speak his final words, and he would say, it is finished. He would bow his head, and he would give up his spirit. Those words signified that the work of redemption on our behalf was now accomplished. The centurion standing nearby, watching all of these events unfold, would speak these words, truly this was the Son of God. The Sabbath was approaching, and in light of that, the soldiers would hurry on the death of those who were being crucified. They would do so by breaking their legs, assuring 
quick asphyxiation. But when they came to Jesus, it was clear that he was already dead. So instead, they pierced his sod. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. The crowds would look upon the one whom they pierced, and John would note that this, in this moment, Zechariah was fulfilled. Before sundown, they would remove Jesus' body from the cross. Joseph of Arimathea would ask Pilate for his body. Nicodemus would bring the needed spices and aloes in order to prepare the body for burial, and in a hurried fashion, they will bond him, bound him in linen cloths and place him in a tomb. The Sabbath quickly approached. Jesus was now dead, and he was buried. In these hours, the disciples would scatter, and their hearts would wonder what has happened. Before we come to the tables this evening, I want to set our hearts and minds on Christ's sufferings. And to do that, I think it would be appropriate for us to hear Isaiah's commentary on the events of Good Friday. Listen now as I read the Word of God. Speaking of Jesus, He had no form or majesty that we should desire Him, no beauty that we should look upon Him, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide with him, him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 
when this Friday we gather in this sacred space, we call it Good Friday. Good Friday because we understand all that our Savior in this moment was accomplishing for us and for our salvation. Brothers and sisters, it is good and it is right and it is helpful to set our minds upon the sufferings of our Savior on this Friday evening. We will do so now by the very means by which Jesus ordained for us to call to mind tangibly, visibly, physically, his sufferings. That's the Lord's table. In just a few moments, you will walk to these tables and you will hear, hear elders say to you that Jesus said to his disciples on that night that we have just chronicled, this is my body and this is my blood. On that night, Jesus would give up himself as the Passover lamb and he would suffer for the sins of his people. We gather on this Good Friday and we remember, we remember that this obedient son he stepped into this moment and he suffered and he agonized and he wept and he hurt and he did so for us and our salvation. I'm going to ask our elders to come to these tables, our deacons to prepare. As they do so, will you cry your hearts and bow your heads with me for just a few moments? As they prepare the tables, let us now prepare our hearts. Well, Father, on this Friday, we set our minds upon those moments of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. As we recall the events, as we hear the scriptures read, we know that Jesus stepped into these moments because of our sin and our transgressions. We know that the Son of God endured your wrath for us. Father, I think it is good right and helpful for your people this evening to set our thoughts deeply upon Jesus' sufferings. I pray that you would help us as we walk through this weekend, this holy week, to be mindful of each step our Savior took, that you would draw out in our hearts appreciation for his faithfulness and his obedience before you, our Father. As we watch him walk through these trials and suffer, and be mocked, to be beaten, to be spit up on and slapped, every strike, every moment, 
ordained by you, the Father, to accomplish for us our salvation as Jesus suffered in our place. Lord Jesus, on this Good Friday, it would be right for the church to lift up our voices in gratefulness and thankfulness to you for enduring these sufferings, for partaking of the cup of the wrath of your Father, and out of a desire to glorify your Father and to redeem your people, thank you that you completed these sufferings. As we partake of the table in these few moments, Lord, let us, let us commune with you. Let us experience fresh moments of grace as our hearts are caught up in the reality of the sufferings of our Savior. Thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. Bless your people now as we come to these tables to honor you, our God, and your faithfulness to us. I pray that in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you're a believer in Christ, if you confess Christ as your hope, we invite you to come this evening and partake of these tables. These deacons will dismiss you. You will come and you will hear those words recited to you. Return to your seat with your elements and Pastor Tim will come in a moment and lead us in this celebration. Deacons, you can begin dismissing.
Pastor Jason made an interesting observation as he walked us through those hours leading up to the cross. And that is that that night or that day that he partook of the last Passover was the consummation consummation of that lamb who would be slain. Jesus is introduced with those words by uh, John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is celebrated in heaven as the one worthy to open the seals because he was the one slain to ransom a people unto God from every tongue and tribe and nation. Truly, Jesus Christ was the consummation, and yet, as he also mentioned, it was not only the end of the Passover, but the inauguration that this covenant, as we will read in just a moment, is sealed in his blood. Our salvation is sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ, the new covenant, where we are, we are forgiven. The law is written on our hearts, and we are the people of God. What an incredible thing. I trust your heart is always moved as we come to the table. I can't tell you what a tremendous privilege it is for me personally to be able to lead you in the partaking of the table this evening. People that I love, people I care for, people that I know value what we are talking about this evening. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do in remembrance of me. overwhelming to have heard what we heard this evening and then to partake of this in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Throughout the centuries, the church has observed this and rejoiced in our Christ. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And indeed, he will come. Our Father, our hearts are overwhelmed as we we think of this day historically as we recognize to some degree what Christ suffered on our behalf that he bore the wrath he drank the cup of God's wrath your wrath to the full Father we are grateful for that and we are amazed at your grace and so Lord this evening Historically, as Christ is placed into the tomb, we await the glory.
glory of resurrection morning. That glory that seals our hope. Oh Lord, I pray that our hearts would swell with just praise and adoration to you. Not only now, but as we consider the truth and the victory and the glory of the resurrection in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and sing. for leading us this evening. We keep our Good Friday service rather subdued, but we do so intentionally. So go in peace, my brothers and my sisters, 
and let these hours of Jesus, these horrific hours and moments set in on your souls for the next 36 hours or so. All right. Let them saturate in. Consider the sufferings of Jesus. We will gather here again Sunday morning at 7 a.m. and again at 10 a.m. And we pray and we anticipate what will come forth from our souls and our hearts based upon our meditations of the sufferings of Christ and the truth we know about Sunday morning will be an explosion of praise brought forth by the people of God here at Randolph Street. In the now immortal words of S.M. Lockridge, it's Friday, but Sundays are coming. May the blessings of the Lord be upon you as these truths settle into your hearts. Thank you. Thank you.